So we are, and it always makes me sad to say this, but we are ending this sermon series that we've been on this summer. I love sermon series. I just, I, I, I get into a rhythm with them. And um, we have had superheroes of the Bible. And what we've tried to do is basically tell Bible stories of famous superheroes in the Bible, if you will, and then identify a particular characteristic of that superhero that seems to fit the story that we tell. Uh, For instance, we started off with Jonathan and his armor bearer. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they defeated an entire Philistine um, garrison, then which eventually led to uh, the Philistines being defeated by the Israelites. But it it was just the two of them. And uh, we said that their overall big super characteristic was trust. They just trusted that God would act if they would step out. And that's exactly what happened. Then the next person that we talked about was Elijah, and he went up against 450 prophets of Baal and won, and he had such confidence in God. That was his super characteristic. Then we talked about the entire book of Esther is the story of Esther. There's 10 chapters there, and about how God purposed in her life. So she lived this life of purpose, on purpose, and for a purpose, even if she didn't always see the purpose in all of the affected changes in her life. And that was her word. That was her characteristic was this sense of purpose. And then Moses, you know, how do you cover Moses in one sermon? We tried to cover just one specific point in his life where he made the decision to serve God rather than the gods of Egypt and to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, the Bible said. And we said that he had an eternally um, sensitive perception, right? ESP. Like he had this ability to see this life for what it was. And that was an opportunity to prepare for all of eternity and to use his life to store up treasures in heaven. And then last week we talked about Samson. We are familiar with his strength. And that was the characteristic that we gave him uh, was strength. Although he didn't have a lot of spiritual strength, he had a lot of physical strength. And someone mentioned to me last week as they were heading out, maybe his characteristic was not strength, but insanity. And I got to think, and that would really be identifiable for many of us, wouldn't it? Like, yeah, now Samson's my hero. He was half insane. But anyway, strength seemed to feel a little bit better. So this is our last week, and we're going to talk about this tremendous trio, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I've been trying to think of a a way to shorten their names, um, because if I refer to them all the time, I'm going to be saying Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dozens of times. but hey, it is who it is. I try to put them together as to one word, just couldn't come up with it. I can use the first letter of each name. Sma. Who is it? Rack, Shack, and Benny. Okay. Rack, Shack, and Benny. All right. That's better than what I came up with because I try to put all of the names into one word. Um, all right. I won't remember that though. Um, the three, that is true. But I do like to talk to tomatoes and (laughs) anyway, all right, trying to get that out of my brain because like now I'm singing the song. (laughs) Thanks, Jessica. Appreciate it. Love you back. Love you back. All right, shut up. So we have, and this is a historical fact, in 605, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquered Israel, and he took captive 
um, some young men that had a lot of promise. They were probably ranging in ages from 13 to 18. Four of those young men were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They became known as Belteshazzar, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, but they take them back, the best of the best, and they take them back to Babylon, and they're going to educate them in the ways of the Babylonians. So they go through this um, three-year course where they are taught everything about being a Babylonian, including the gods they serve, everything from math to astrology, but all of these topics that made Babylonians who they were. And the idea was to brainwash these best of the best men to make them the best of the best Babylonians. That's kind of what they did. So these three men became even better than all of their contemporaries. There's even one place where it's written that they were 10 times smarter than all of their contemporaries. They were different. They had a different set of goals and standards, and they worshiped a different God. But, and, and because they were a little bit different, not everybody liked them. And even in Babylon, they still served the God that they loved. So at some point, some men in the king's court who did not like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego convinced the king to build this incredibly large statue of himself. And that everybody would bow down to this statue. And in the back of their mind, they're thinking, we know these Hebrew children won't do it. And this will be our opportunity to entrap them and get them in trouble with the king. So the king likes the idea because who doesn't love themselves? So he erects a 90-foot statue covered in gold. And that he assembles the band. And it was quite an array of instruments, and he, so they, they say, as soon as the music starts to play, everybody has to bow down. So sure enough, the music plays, and everybody bows down, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the men who hated the Hebrew children went and told the king that they didn't bow down, and the king was furious. So the king calls them in, and I love this. He's going he's gonna to give them one more chance, right? So I'll give you one more chance to bow down. And here's what I love. These, these men look at the king and they basically say, King, we don't even have to think about it. I mean, we're just not going to bow down. We, I mean, it's not that we don't appreciate an extra chance. We're just not going to bow. And what I love about this is that they, they are... Um, They're able to disagree, but they're not disrespectful in their disagreement. They have a different opinion, and they do disagree with what's going on, but they don't become disagreeable. So they're given one more chance. They stand fast. They're faithful. And now the king is even more angry, and he turns up the furnace accordingly. The Bible says that he said to heat the furnace up seven times hotter, so much so that when he finally threw the three men into the furnace, the soldiers, the guards that threw the men into the furnace were burned up in the fire just by throwing them in the fire. So the three men get thrown into the fiery furnace. The Bible doesn't say how long they were in there, but the next verse simply says that the king was astonished and that he rose up from his throne 
and looked into the fire, and he asked his advisors near him, he said, didn't we throw in three men? Well, yes, King, we only threw in three men. He said, I see four men in the fire, and one of them is like unto the Son of God. And there were four men, and yep, that's the truth. God was in the fire with them. The Bible says the only thing that burned up was the cords or the, or the ropes that bound them. The Bible says that not even their clothes smelled of smoke when they got out. Now, you know that like Grandpa Shadrach, later in his life, would pull that out of the closet, that robe, and he would go to his grandson and say, smell this. That's always a bad start to conversation. <laughs> smell this. And the kid goes, I don't smell anything. I don't smell anything, Grandpa. Exactly. Do you know why you don't smell anything? And then he would relay the story of what had happened in the fiery furnace. I don't know that that happened, okay? I'm just saying, in my mind, that would be a lot of fun to do. So Nebuchadnezzar becomes a changed man. He actually reverses direction. He goes so far the other direction. He says, there is no other God but Jehovah. And if anybody says differently, then they're going to be punished. And then he promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even a higher rank, better pay, more power, and it was a good day for them after it was all over with. I love the phrase that Warren Wearsby said. He said, when God's people are in the fire, God's hand is on the thermostat. And God's eye is on the clock because he knows how hot and how long we can take it. The word that I think characterizes these three men, their super characteristic is faithfulness, just faithfulness. And what's kind of a sad commentary, right? So I look up what the word faithfulness looks like. It's just what I do. And one of the definitions, usually four or five down, is full of faith. And then it has in parentheses, I looked up three different dictionaries, and there's three of them that said, in parentheses, obsolete. Because we don't use it that way anymore. But I'm using it that way this morning. These men were full of faith. They were faith-filled, fully devoted followers of God. From the time that they were captured and brought to Babylon, they never lost sight of who they were or whose they were. And here's the truth. Genuine faith is countercultural. Let that sink in just a little bit. Genuine faith in God does not make any sense in this culture. It's not normal. It's not convenient. It's socially unacceptable. It's not politically correct to have faith in God. You might stand out or you might have to stand up when everybody else is bowing down. It just doesn't make sense. But sometimes pleasing God means displeasing Nebuchadnezzar. But here's the truth. We all have faith, right? Whether, even if you don't believe in God, we all have faith. The difference is the object of our faith. Warren Wearsby said this, the difference between the true believer and the unbeliever isn't the presence of faith. Because everybody lives by faith in something. Some of us live by faith in our job. 
And we worship at that and we sacrifice everything for that because that is where we get benefit and that is what we think is our, that's who we think is our provider. And so we worship that job. Maybe sometimes we think the government is the answer. We just think if we elect the right official or if we, or if we petition the right way, it's going to change everything. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be active and try and make improvements in the society we live in, but we can't look to them as the answer. He goes on to say the difference is the object of the faith. The Babylonian crowd believed the herald and the king, and therefore they obeyed. The three Hebrew men believed the commandment of God, so they disobeyed. So a few lessons that I want us to learn from this story, and there are many lessons in this story. The first one is this, that having faith-filled friends can make all the difference. Now, in, in the society that we live in, would you acknowledge the fact that we are incredibly shallow in a majority of our relationships? I mean, we, who do you allow to speak into your life. Having friends who point you to Jesus, pray for you, hold you accountable, challenge you, comfort you, stand by you, can make all the difference in your walk of faith. And we take it so lightly. We think that a slap on the back or a, or a drink or a, or a barbecue or something where we just kind of get together, that's what friendship's all about, and that's part of it. But I'm talking about faith-filled friends that truly take you to the next level in your walk with the Lord and hold you accountable and make you better and bring you closer to the God that you love and serve. Faith-filled friends make all the difference. There are many scriptures to choose from, but one thing that stood out to me was in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter four, a few verses here, two are better than one. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falls. For he has not another to help him. And if one prevail against him, two shall stand with him. And a three-four cord is not cord is not easily broken. True friendship is built on relationship, and trust, and accountability. I would want to encourage you to find a friend that'll point you to Christ, and I would also encourage you to be that kind of friend. Faith-filled friends can make all the difference. The second thing I want to draw out of this story this morning is that God doesn't promise a fireproof life. Somewhere along the lines, we were sold a bill of goods, that the Christian life was easy, and that if you come to Christ, all your problems will disappear. That once you accept the Lord and you're walking in relationship with him, you can move mountains with your faith and God has a wonderful plan for your life. (laughs) It doesn't always happen. I believe his plan is wonderful. Whatever his plan is, and if I could figure it all out, I'd be a much happier man. 
But what he does promise is his presence. And what he does promise is enough grace for every trial. Loving God is easy when he does what we want him to do. Right? When we pray and everything works out just the way we prayed, it's easy to love him and it's easy to follow him when everything works out and we understand it all. When he answers our request and provides what we desire, but loving him in the tough times is much more difficult. Is God powerful enough to answer your prayer? Absolutely he is. Is he able to deliver you from your problems? Yes, he is. Does God always deliver you from your problems? (laughs) No, he doesn't. Well, why not? I don't know. And aren't you glad you came this morning? I don't know why God chooses not to answer the prayer that you prayed that would make your life the way that you think you want your life to be. Maybe it's because he is God and you're not. And just maybe God knows a better plan than the one that you've contrived. Here's something that I've had to tell myself many, many times. I don't always know why God does what God does. But I know that God knows why he does what he does. And sometimes that's all that I know. And I have to be okay with that. And I don't know what it is in your life that you're thinking, there is no way God is in this. Maybe he is. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you, and aren't you glad you're not God? And sometimes that's all that we have, and sometimes that has to be enough. I love what the Hebrew children said to the king. Yeah, I mean, our God can save us. Our God can make all this happen. And then they said, but well, well, let's look at it. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, period. But if not, and I'm so glad that's there, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. I know he can I know he will, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. This is next level faith, which then segues into my last point, and that is that the essence of faith is the willingness to serve God without a guarantee. Because if you always know how it's going to work out, it's not faith. And if you always feel like it's going to make you happy, then are you really trusting? So here's the truth. Sometimes God saves us from the fire. 
So like you're heading in a particularly disastrous direction. And you're looking ahead and you're praying hard and you're, you're just, you just know God's going to deliver you from this. And God does deliver you from that. And then you look back and you say, whew, that was close. Whereas my friend Dawson used to say, that was close. That was close. And you walk away going, whoo, God really came through that time. Thank you, Jesus. I have a praise. God delivered me from that, and, and God saves you from the fire. But folks, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes God saves us in the fire. So instead of saying, that was close, we say, that hurts. And God, that just hurts. And we're looking for answers, and we don't know why. And how come everybody else gets to, and how come it's not us? And how can this be God's will? And it's not fair. And it hurts. And we're in the, and it happened to us. But we were going to church. We were trying to be good. We believe in Jesus. And it's not supposed to happen to people like us. But it does. And you still get thrown into the furnace. And it hurts. And I don't know why. But I know that's where Jesus is. And Jesus is with you in the fire. Hebrews 13 Verses 5 and 6 says, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man will do to me. You expected the miracle outside of the fire. You thought God would save you before things went this far or got this bad. But folks, for you, the miracle was in the fire like it was for these three Hebrews. God can heal cancer. I believe it. But if the healing doesn't come, I still believe. And I won't bow. I believe God could restore a marriage. But if restoration never comes, I, I still believe. And I will not bow. I believe that God can cause me to prosper. But if I give and I do what's right and prosperity never comes, <laughs> I still believe. And I will not bow. Because while God's people are in the fire, God's hand is on the thermostat. And God knows. Here's the truth. At some point in our lives, we have to go from believing in God to believing God. And you notice the subtle difference. 
See, believing in God. Yes, I believe in God. Matter of fact, the Bible says that even the devils believe and tremble. So you're going you're gonna to take your Christian life to a different level. You're going to go from believing in God to believing God. He is with you. And he does love you. And he is enough. And if you're in the fire this morning, and I don't understand why, and I wouldn't have wished that on you. You're in it, though. <laughs> you, you know, you thought your miracle was going to happen before you got thrown into the fire. You thought something would happen right here, and you'd be able to go, whew, that was close. But instead, you're in it, and it hurts, and you don't know the answers, and you don't understand, and you don't agree, but he is with you, and he is enough. I'd like you to listen to a song as we close out the service. And this is such a powerful song, and if you look it up, it's Mercy Me with Even If. And the story behind why the song was written is powerful. But I'd like you to listen to this song as we close out the service. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing back. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now, oh right now. It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? Say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be. My heart.
what may Cause I know you're able I know challenge is to be able to say that even if God doesn't change your circumstances, it's okay, because it's well with my soul, because he's in the fire. I wish I had the answers for you, but he does. Let's pray. God, we trust you this morning. We will be faithful. Don't know what you want to teach us. Don't know what we have to learn. But as the song said, I truly believe that if you just said the word, all of the hurt and all the sorrow would go away. But you choose not to. And I wish you would sometimes. And I just wish I understood. God, I trust you and I love you. And I just want to be who you want me to become. Thank you for loving us and being with us in the fire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.